welcome to a pre-season edition of a couple of drop kicks from the Winton Oval. In this series we'll be looking at a couple of the key um, conversations that Jason and myself had about all things to do with Bulldogs, a couple of our interesting sort of deep dives into games of the past as well as the players who basically turned our club into the club that it is today. In this episode Jason and myself have a chat about the 1985 preliminary final against Hawthorne when the, the up-and-coming Footscray Football Club went against the juggernaut that was known as the Hawthorne Football Club of the 1980s. Please sit back, relax and enjoy and we'll get to chat to you about some other things very soon. So now uh, we have the pleasure of uh, introducing the first uh, uh, segment, the first look at our preliminary final heartache and uh, this was an opportunity to look at all of those preliminary finals dating back to 1985 um, through the 90s and through the 2000s before our ultimate success in 2016. Um, we, we said to our, uh, our listener listeners that we'd have a look at those prelims and uh, give a bit of a um, review and a bit of a wrap on those. Uh, it's been an interesting um, couple of weeks to have a close look at 1985. Um, even though it, it was a bit of a heartbreak, it has been quite a, a good good process, Nick, to have a look through um, that, that that great team and, and that time and what it meant uh, for the Doggies fans and having uh, a go into the finals and an opportunity to take a shot at a, a, a premiership uh, um, window and an opportunity to get into the grand final. Obviously, four weeks short in the end by uh, 10 points. But it was a good opportunity to have a look at the class of players in the team that was brought together at that time. Um, so, uh, 1985, prelim, Footscray versus Hawthorne at Waverley Park. 15-9-99 to 16-13-109, uh, a 10-point loss, heartbreak. 21st September 85, more than 50,000 in attendance. I remember going myself. Uh, a gorgeous sunny day, uh, but ended in uh, clouds and uh, disappointment in the end. Mm. Um, umpire by Glenn James and Rowan Sawyers, two umpires. First impressions, there's actually a, a video of it on, on YouTube that people can watch, and they can watch the whole grand final. It, uh, it strikes you when you first look at the game, how different the game is today versus what it was then. Mm. Um, the, uh, there's obviously, there's not a centre circle. The Ruckman take a 20 metre run up for the run. Yeah, I felt sorry for Andrew Purser. I thought he was yeah. going to have to do a little sit down halfway because it was such a big running. Um, it was, and there's no forward, um, there's no 50 metre arc. And um, the skill level was very different. Um, so we didn't have pinpoint passes to um, members of the team. It was a bit more uh, kick to kick. Mm. Um, and certainly didn't have the same uh, athleticism and running game that you see in today's comp. Mm. But 85 was a really interesting year for the VFL as well. Um, it was the start of um, some changes. Um, we had, uh, uh, at the end of the day, uh, Essendon beating Hawthorne the week later in the grand final. But the uh, season was marred by a very nasty brawl between Hawthorne and Geelong, where Lee Matthews was actually charged uh, for assaulting um, Neville Bruns, uh, Victoria Police. And, if you have a look at some of the games um, during that season, 85, that you might want to also look at uh, some of the rounds that uh, you can watch on video as well. It, it was a rough and tumble league at that point and it was only really starting to change in terms of the protection of the players and the heads after some of those really nasty incidents that you saw. It was also the last games played at Arden Street Oval um, mm -hmm. at North Melbourne 
and it was also the year that uh, Sydney Swans was uh, bought by Geoffrey Edelston. So a time of change and uh, um, uh, you know, private, private ownership of VFL clubs mm. at that time as well. Um, a bit of a scene set up, Michael Mouthouse is his second year in the Doggies. Um, he'd uh, joined the Dogs the year before and had brought a real different attitude and a hardness to, to the Doggies. A lot of the players, when they talk about Mick Malthouse coming into, into the club, talk him that he and uh, fellow uh, chairman selectors, Wayne Walsh, who he brought over from Richmond, had a real can-do attitude and a serious attitude. Um, people like uh, uh, Doug Hawkins and Brad Hardy and Simon Beasley all say that they meant business. And certainly some of those players have been around for a while, like Rick Kennedy and others, really saw a big cultural change and shift. Um, mm. So to get the doggies into the finals, Mix in the second season of Mick Malthouse's um, um, coaching was a, a big success and a bit of a bolt out of blue. The Doggies had a, a fantastic year. Uh, they were up and about winning games early in the season and they certainly um, got themselves um, to the top of the ladder with hopes of being able to match it with any team that year. They, they'd beaten every team uh, they'd faced this year, that year and yep. certainly the ultimate premier, Essendon of all the teams, were the most worried about the Doggies. So that folklore about, you know, if the doggies had just got over Hawthorne, they might have had a chance with Essendon, was sort of borne out by some of the feedback that you got from uh, Essendon coaching staff and players of the day. Uh, doggies finished second place on a 12-team ladder. Uh, in the first week of the finals, faced Hawthorne and, and got a drubbing, a uh, 90-point uh, uh, loss in the first week and, and certainly a bit of a uh, reality check in terms of the type of composure and the maturity you need in finals. Um, the following week they faced up against uh, North Melbourne, um, Beasley kicking his 100th goal mm -hmm. during that game. Yep, seven um, in total for that game, this one. Yeah, had a, had a little day out that day and uh, interestingly people still managed to run onto the field. It's something you don't see these days. No. But um, Beasley had a few taps in the back from uh, supporters who ran the field to congratulate him. And even after the end of the, the prelim final against Hawthorne, the players had to make their way through streaming crowds which ran onto the ground as well, which is something you just don't see these days no. in terms of the, the um, protection of the players. Um, 85 was uh, a year which um, was you know, um, a great team, a great Bulldogs outfit, and a bit of what Malthouse might call the Moneyball team before Moneyball came into existence. So basically grabbed a lot of, um, and recruited and, and, and picked up a lot of unappreciated players from other clubs and other states. So we had uh, Simon Beasley, Alan Daniels, Andrew Purser, Jim Sewell, Brad Hardy, all from WA. I suppose we were almost like the West Coast team before West Coast came into existence. Mm. And then pickups from uh, Melbourne, Les Bamblett, Tony Harger from Essendon, Phil Malin from Carlton, and Neil Perk from Richmond. So a real a mixed bag of seasoned performers and up-and-coming stars. Um, as well as the, the regular list of club champions that uh, people will remember from the day, Brian, Neil Cordy, Jim Edmund, Peter Foster, Robert uh, Brackett, Captain Bronawagon, Doug Hawkins, Rick Kennedy, Stephen Wallace, uh, Stephen McPherson, Michael McLean, uh, Brian Chopper Royal um, as well. So you saw that you actually, when you look at that team, it was a, it was a real champion team, mm -hmm. a champion team of people who were brought in, plus a champion team of good um, club club. Uh, players as well. A lot of um, very important um, players who sort of kept on and for the following years and, and went the ups and downs of the successes that we had there. Um, 
and yeah, all club champions that were, that sort of in, that been each other that way. It was like Choco Royal and and uh, Ricky Kennedy, who was always a, a stalwart in the back line and um, always happy to give a bit of arge and barge. Um, yeah. Yeah, Rick Kennedy, uh, 100, more than 158 games recruited from Trelgan, uh, of a tall fullback, um, state of origin um, pick in 86. Uh, probably had uh, many tribunal appearances during his time. He was a bit of a rough nut, and you saw some of that uh, during, the, during the play in the 85 prelim. Uh, Doug Hawkins was at his peak at that time. Yep. Uh, um, absolute champion, um, 180 centimetre wingman, Charlie Sutton medal uh, winner, Footscray captain in 1993 and the VFL Team of the Year two times, so um, a real uh, legend of the game. Michael McLean, um, recruited from Northern Territory, first player coming straight from Northern Territory to the VFL. Winger, 180 games, 40, 40 goals with uh, Footscray and Brisbane Lions and, and Bears. Um, an Indigenous All-Star 2003-2007 and quite a strong anti-racism and activist during those times in the VFL as well. Simon Beasley recruited from uh, Swan Districts, more than 150 games, uh, 575 goals for, for Footscray, common medalist in that year in 85, um, leading goal kicker for the Doggies, 82 to 88, uh, Footscray team of the year, uh, uh, century, sorry, and a Simpson medalist as well. Brad Hardy, um, um, we all remember the distinctive red hair and long sleeves, mm-hmm. recruited from South Fremantle, 150 games for Footscray, Brisbane, and Conwood, team, uh, state team honours 82 to 88 and 91. Uh, member of the international team, remember those, 84 to 86. Brownlow medalist in 85, uh, Charlie Sutton uh, winner 86. AFL Hall of Famer in 2019, All Australian, Tassie medal, Simpson medal, um, uh, and out and out champion. Obviously there was a bit of fallout uh, coming in uh, future years with yes, the, at the, end of, at the end of 1986. Yeah, um, and he, I suppose if you look at him now, and he was a real modern player, um, an attacking halfback or back pocket player. Mm. And you saw in the first three quarters of the preliminary final, Brad Hardy just owned that field. Um, his dash, his breaking through lines, um, it, it is what you see today in um, modern halfback flankers. And certainly there was a couple of plays during the game where he just burst through um, a contest, grabbed the ball, and was able to break through a number of tackles to get uh, the ball into the doggies forward line. So, and uh, his and his um, his control of the back line really basically puts uh, uh, Lee Matthews on the bench. Um, it did I think I think Lee Matthews went on, uh, on the bench in the first quarter and, and they sat him out. Um, he he um, his attacking game basically put put a shade on on uh, Lee Matthews. Um, there's a lot of folklore about. Lee Matthews, Lee Matthews last quarter where he picked up a couple of goals and, a, and, a, and an assist or two um, but certainly um, if you look at the game as a whole Brad Hardy had an absolute ripper Absolutely. Um, just that um, arrested Lee Matthews coming on last quarter um, just made a bit of a difference in terms of the end result um, but I think if you look at more broadly across the Hawthorne team on the day you can probably pick a, a number of players who probably made more of a contribution during the day rather than just Lee Matthews I think there's a bit of folklore about the role so. of uh, Lee Matthews and then the relationship to Brad Hardy, which I don't think is entirely fair if you look at the game as a whole. Um, previously, um, the two teams had, had met during the year and they were one and one in terms of their respective wins. Um, the Doggies had been in a close contest at the, at the Western Oval in a, in a wet, dire, dour contest. Um, and uh, the had two different sort of um, playing styles where uh, Hawthorne had quite large. Um, Key position players, 
a running style of game, whereas the doggies were a bit more, um, a bit more uh, under the uh, under the uh, the contest and, and getting possessions through their um, brilliant um, centre players like Doug Hawkins and Michael McLean and others. So the eighty five uh, qualifier, as I said earlier, was a real shocker for the doggies, um, getting whipped by ninety three points. Um, to come back from that um, that big loss and to get back into a winning position after being in North Melbourne the following week was very impressive. And certainly the Doggies had a lot of hope and a lot of um, feeling that they um, had a good chance to, to tackle Hawthorne at Waverley at, at the following week in the prelim. Um, um, if you have a look at the, the key matchups for the game, Andrew Purser um, and Chris Langford in the middle, Andrew Purser dominated in the ruck on the day. I suppose the, uh, the Hawthorne midfield was able to, to grab a bit of the ball off Andrew, but certainly Andrew bested um, Chris Longford in the hit-out contests. Neil Cordy was on Peter Knights, and Peter Knights towards the end of his career, and Neil Cordy was good on the day. Rick Kennedy versus Jason Dunstall was the key matchup. Yeah. As I said, uh, Rick was a, a bit of a hard head and a bit of a hard nut, um, generally. And was a bit of a uh, gave a few away a few uh, free kicks to Jason Dunstall. Just, just a couple of taps behind the ears was was. Was, uh, was that? There was also a boots in the back as well. Yeah. So. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that, that's when the uh, in the forward pocket was right. just a little step over. That's right. Um, but, but hands up, we didn't do anything. Yeah, right a bit of a shocker. I think <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't, uh, wouldn't cop that to, in today's game. No. Um, Doug Hawkins uh, again was matched up against Robert Debbie uh, Benico um, on the wing. Another yeah. classic contest between those two stalwarts of the game. Um, Doug Hawkins, if you look at the video and, and look at his performance, is so clean with his possessions mm -hmm. and disposals. He's, he's got all the time in the world, he's got composure, and um, there was no one with more heart um, on the day on that ground than Doug Hawkins. We had Peter Foster versus Dermot Brereton, a young Dermot Brereton up and coming in the game. Still had that arrogance and flair that we saw many years to come, um, but at the very beginning of his, his career. Beasley and Mew. Um, Beasley, um, after the key performance against North, North, North Melbourne the, the previous week, um, a very tight contest between the two of them. And then, as I said, Brad Hardy and Lee Matthews for a couple of quarters on the day. Uh, Brad Hardy was key for the Doggies, um, um, threatening to win the game for the first three quarters. And as we've noted, Lee Matthews came back on, um, certainly had an impact in the last quarter. The Doggies got off to a bit of a flyer um, um, with the aid of the Breeze in the first quarter. Um, Jim Sewell, a WA recruit, um, a former backman put into centre forward, um, got, us, got us going with a goal within um, 60 seconds of the opening bounce. Um, Steve McPherson had a huge first quarter, running loose in defence um, and uh, racking up um, possessions, moving the Doggies forward into the forward line. Um, the Doggies, though, even though Andrew Purser was dominating in stoppages and the, the hitouts couldn't quite capitalise and uh, John Kennedy kicked a couple of goals for Hawthorne which got them uh, within um, a couple of minutes within a couple of points. Um, Beasley uh, got a nice uh, nice play from McPherson and all the scores and then there was uh, 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 displays between Doug Hawkins and Dippier Domenico on the, on the wing entertaining the crowd of more than 55,000 people. Um, and then we had the young Michael McLean um, snap and regained the lead for the doggies um, and then we had uh, Jason Dunstall marking strongly and kicking a goal from 25 metres out so in the first quarter we were 3-2 apiece um, and uh, um, matching with, uh, with Hawthorne, perhaps not taking some of the opportunities that we had. 
um, with a couple of uh, seconds seconds remaining, uh, Jim Edmonds uh, took a, a great mark, um, sorry, take a pie and tackle on the boundary line and let kick from a free kick uh, with a massive torpedo punt and sailed through to give us a, a lead at the first change. So um, eight point lead in the first, first change. Um, lots of run from Hardy in the back line. Um, as we said, Lee Matthews was um, shut so much out of the game that Alan Jeans put the veteran on the bench for a couple of quarters. Um, Jim Saw was good, taking five marks, and uh, deserved a better return than a single goal from three shots. Um, um, the uh, Hawthorne um, forwards were held, and probably best served by John Kennedy, um, who in his two goals given their side within striking distance. Um, so there was a lot of hope in that first quarter that we were um, in front and, and matching with Hawthorne, and certainly um, we had a lot more of the ball than uh, Hawthorne did in that first quarter. So. Mm. Fan, Doggies fans at Waverley that day in that first quarter with the same signing were thinking we were really in, in for a shot here and there was a real opportunity to break uh, you know, a 20-year um, hoodoo of being in a grand final all the way back to 61 at that yeah. point. Yeah, and that's what it is. Going into um, quarter time, there was a lot of uh, optimism coming through. Um, and I guess how we started off in the, in the second quarter was, was quite impressive as well. We had... Um, uh, the magic of McLean and, and Choco Royal um, just having a good little bit of time in the forward line and kicking two goals for us, popping us up into a, or helping us get, get into a 14 point lead. Um, Les Bamblett was uh, was really good um, for us, I think, when he when he came over us from, from Melbourne. Um, and uh, I think he, he sort of, that extra bit of um, flair in, in, the, in the midfield was, was quite helpful. Yeah, as you said, good linking uh, with McLean and, and Royal between the three of them and uh, we managed to push our lead out early to 14 points. Um, yeah, as you said, um, former uh, Morris medal winner, uh, played for Melbourne, transferred to Western over the, the preceding winter um, and a real bit of flair and um, although he probably wasn't at his best on the day, mm. Uh, Bamblett, he was a key player during the year and a lively um, forward for the doggies. Um, shortly after, though, the uh, the Hawthorne team hit back with um, a coast to coast goal from Ken Judge um, to kick their lead um, back to um, um, uh, within 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 one goal, um, and uh, uh, later um, just clicking down to the end of the first half. Um, Judge chipped in his uh, second um, um, goal of the quarter to seize advantage. So at half time, we were actually down 46 to 42, and uh, the Hawthorne pre game favourites were edging us out at half time. So a, a lot of talk about um, Hawthorne taking control of the game midway through that second quarter. The optimism and the hope the Doggies fans saw in that first quarter and, and the beginning of the second quarter faded a little bit. And certainly, um, some of the maturity and, and the run of Hawthorne um, started to tell in relation to um, control of the game from that second quarter. What we saw happen in the third quarter, um, we saw again um, us starting quite brightly in the third quarter, but squandering a number of scoring opportunities. Richard Loveridge for Hawthorne was um, damaging on the ground uh, for us, um, and he kicked really from full pocket. Dunstall kicked um, one shortly after. Um, and then the Hawthorne team were building up quite a handy buffer in the third quarter. McLean uh, goal to, to register our first first goal for, for the half, um, but almost immediately the three-goal gap was restored thanks to another another goal from Judge. Uh, Chris Langford and Michael McCarthy were holding their own against Purser in, in the ruck, 
and the time on learning that the bullies needed to get a, get a move on, but we were going to stay in the game. And then we saw Saul from a 50 metre bomb and then Hawkins from a set shot 45 metres dead in front, helped to make it a one score game. Just minutes before the third quarter time siren, uh, that uh, Glasgow-born Glasgow born, uh, star Jim Edmund uh, gave teammates and supporters reason to believe that his club um, were on the brink of qualifying for the grand final um, in, a, in a brilliant passage. Uh, Edmonds was the final link in a play, as I said previously, started off with a Hardy um, with a dashing uh, intercept of an errant kick, avoiding um, oncoming uh, raging bull. Debbie Domenico taking a bounce, hitting Brian Royal in a 10 metre hand pass. Uh, Royal's 15 metre hand pass found fellow um, um, Gippslander Edmund and Skipper slammed home his shot from 40 metres out. Um, the crowd, at least the ones in red, white, and blue, erupted and we thought we were in for a really good shot. Um, three goals in five minutes to send the bullies uh, grab the ascendancy in the game. Uh, a couple of uh, behinds prior. Uh, to the Bellsall Hawks turn uh, for home, leading by the barest of margins, um, 68 to 67. Um, so you can imagine uh, the, the fans at the ground in the day, um, one quarter to go, one point down, haven't been in a final since 76, haven't been in a prelim since 61, haven't won a grand final since 54, thinking that we had a real hot yeah, chance, absolutely. A lot of hope, a lot of, uh, a lot of wishing and praying. Um, and certainly um, going into the last quarter with the, um, the, the, um, the shade starting to build on one side of the ground, um, thinking that uh, we, we could be in a grand final next week. But the heartache starts here. Nick, this is the last quarter, and this is where uh, things go a little awry again. Again, we saw uh, Hawthorne take the ascendancy at the beginning of the quarter, and then the doggies fight back to try to get within, uh, within distance to win the game. Michael McCarthy um, um, palms the ball to Matthews, who's back on the ground. Um, the aging veteran swoops. Um, Michelle goal luckily goes uh, touched on route um, to goal by Rick Kennedy, but a bit of a sign that Matthews was on the loose and rested up for a number of quarters, um, had a bit of um, go in his legs mm. and a bit of speed. Um, and then we had a kick in from a sensational end-to-end -end, end -end effort by, initiated by Hardy. Um, with cameos from Neil Pert, Hawkins, McPherson and Gronwagen landed in the safe hands of Beasley's 30, um, 35 metres out, no angle to speak of, four points for, for Beasley and four points for the Doggies. Uh, that was Beasley's 105th for the campaign and put the, the Scraggers only, uh, put the Scraggers, put the Scraggers four points clear at that point. McCarthy answered his strong mark in the pocket and clever kick saw the lead change for the fourth time in 10 minutes and you can imagine the hearts um, um, of the Doggies fans at this point as, as we uh, hit the front early, but then uh, Hawthorne coming back. Then we had Matthews hitting Dunstall with a perfect pass and the Doggies trial by eight points. And then we had um, Matthews with his sixth possession in the last quarter, slotting through his first goal of the afternoon. And did likewise with his seventh possession. And uh, unfortunately, the fat lady was starting to clear her throat. Yeah, Renzi had that point. Getting very excited there. Yeah. And then we had Bahaja quiet for most of the afternoon, marked and converted from just outside the goal square. Purser ventured forward and notched a rare major to bring the crowd back to life. But then Dunstall outmarked, Kennedy notched his fourth, judge, uh, judge added another, and it was pretty much all over by that point. Um, we had some consolation efforts from Gorna Wagon and Boyle to reduce the gap to two kicks um, and time run out. So, um, game wrap, best for the doggies were Hawkins with 28 possessions, Harley 24. 
Royal twin run positions, McPherson, McLean, Edmund are all good, basically good with three goals and Jim Silver two. But best for the Hawks, Loveridge, um, 26 possessions, Kennedy with 25, Wallace was everywhere, uh, Dibia Domenico with 20, um, and uh, Judd with four goals and Dunstall with four goals were perhaps the difference in the day. Mm. Um, interestingly, we had uh, Rodney E and uh, Terry Wallace both playing for Hawthorne on the day against Footscray, yep. uh, two future coaches for the Western Bulldogs and, and eras of success in the 90s and 2000s. And that's the thing, when you sort of look at uh, the Hawthorne side of the 80s, the, how many um, coaches were floating around there at that time? You would almost half your side. You, you, had, you had Knights running around there, you had Matthews, you had uh, Judge, you had, you know, um, yeah, Ede and, and uh, Wallace as well. It was it was a very uh, a team that had a lot of footy smarts, and that's where you can understand why they had so much success at that time. Yeah, a really modern team, strong, um, run and carry. Um, unfortunately for them, they weren't able to um, replicate their success the following week, and mm. they had um, an actual drubbing um, eighty-four point victory to Essendon the following week. Uh, but the Hawthorne team would recover from that shellacking in the grand final of eighty-five and take three of the last four pennants before the decade was out. Um, the Doggies couldn't replicate their success in the finals um, that they achieved in 95. They were knocking on the door every year. Mm. Um, they had um, um, one or two wins short of getting into the finals, including a heartbreaking loss to Melbourne in 87. To get Melbourne around. And Melbourne one day went in. Um, right. And that was, um, I think, the only final series that... Uh, who was that over there from Melbourne? Jim Steins. No, not Jim Steins. It was um, Robbie Flowers. Flowers. Yes. Only final series that he ever I think about Jim Steins running through the mark. That's right. And one thing I thought was really, um, <laughs> when you do go back in, in back to look at the older you know, these games, is that you go, okay, what, what were the different rules floating around? Mm. And uh, seeing that 15 metre um, penalty, <laughs> yes. it was very interesting to see how teams we were exploiting that at that stage. Oh, they were, they were. Yeah. They'd used that to allow their team to build a defensive wall mm. and the 15 metre penalty ended up being more of a penalty to the, the team with the ball and uh, the professional free kicks that we saw even in the pre mm. final where they would hold the player up knowing that they'd cop a 15 metre but it would allow their, their lines to move back to ensure that they had people in place for when the kick actually came. Um, that's right. I mean, the, the game has obviously moved on and, and rules are tweaked every year, uh, but certainly that 15-metre rule was um, not not the greatest, so we're probably glad that we've got a 50-metre rule that actually has a real impact and a real penalty to the team who's infringed. Yep. So the Doggies were unable to break their 53-year premiership um, drought at that point, um, and uh, we had to wait until 92 before we'd see similar success um, uh, again with the Doggies. So, uh, that's the first of many prelim heartbreaks that we'll cover in a number of our episodes. We'll um, go to 92 in a couple of weeks' time, or a couple of episodes' time. Um, but certainly, um, 85 um, should be remembered not only for the prelim heartbreak, but for a champion team, a real money ball team made up of key recruits from WA from other teams, and some of those real champion um, club players mm-hmm. that we, we all remember and love to this day. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of a couple of drop kicks from the Witten Oval. It's been great to revisit some of the topics that Jason and myself have, have talked about over the journey and uh, hopefully we'll be able to chat to you very soon. Woof woof. Go dogs. Sons of the sea, now are we not?
Oh! 